words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a blessed Christ the King Sunday to all of you. Praise God, and I hope you've had a happy Thanksgiving. Amen? Hasn't the weather been fantastic? Wow, it's been fantastic. You know, the question that we have to ask on Christ the King Sunday is the question that Jesus asked the apostles or the disciples in Matthew's uh, Gospel, chapter 16, beginning at the 13th verse. He said, or he asked them, who do you say that I am? That is the most important question, isn't it? The question will become the basis for the test of true belief. For right understanding of who our Lord Jesus Christ is not only reveals the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit, but denotes the passionate heart of a true believer who embraces the apostolic faith and seeks to really know Christ the King. Amen? Amen. Now as we consider our gospel today and our Lord's conversation with Pilate, we have to consider the questions that are being asked. Pilate, of course, as we know, calls our Lord in before him, and he asks him the question, are you the king of the Jews? Now we know that he got this idea from the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jews. They said he calls himself the king of the Jews. The high priest accused him of a crime of treason against Rome, which carried the death penalty, because his actual crime against Israel was to make himself equal with God, which carried no penalty worthy of death in Rome. So it had to be a political charge. Jesus' answer to Pilate, and I quote from the King James Version, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Which is really a two-part question. Only John's Gospel has this two-part question. The first portion of our Lord's question begs the question as to the parallel between Peter between Peter's response to Jesus' question in Matthew chapter 16, which is, but who do you say that I am? Peter's response is revealed to be from the Holy Spirit, as in revelation from God. This is the only way that Peter could have uttered his response according to Jesus. So I must reason that Jesus is asking Pilate, is this what you believe? Is this a personal revelation that you've had? that could only have come through divine intervention? Or did you get this from somewhere else? You see the parallel there? Again, the second portion of Jesus' reply to Pilate, or did others tell you this concerning me? This is reminiscent of the first question our Lord asked of the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And I'll turn to that. And read that very quickly to you. 
when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so we go back. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You know, the world is filled full of, that, full of opinions of who our Lord Jesus Christ is, and everybody will tell you that opinion. <laughs> Oh, the response is revealing. The answer of the world is that Jesus is a prophet, a great teacher or healer, comparable to other great teachers and prophets that have come upon the world stage at various times in history, that he is not divine. So what did Pilate say? Am I a Jew? Your own nation and priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Our Lord would go on to say that indeed he is a king and that he is divine. And that his kingdom is not of this world. And finally, that he is the truth. Pilate would respond, what is truth? Pilate was face to face with truth but did not see it. Christ's conversation with Peter in Matthew 16 had a very different result because Peter's encounter, Peter encountered the truth and believed by faith. In our Lord's conversation with Peter, this is the truth. All revelation stems from this one truth. A deviation from this statement leads one into heresy. And of course, heresy, the very definition of heresy is a false choice. We all must choose, be like Peter or be like Pilate. The first heresy that we come across in the Bible is known as Ebonism, which taught the universality of the Mosaic Law which was needed for salvation. They advanced antipathy to Paul, and according to this, Jesus was acknowledged as the Messiah, but only as a man on whom the Spirit came at baptism. We know that this heresy was condemned by St. Paul. We see that in his epistles. The first great heresy is known as Gnosticism, Thought, the Gnostics thought themselves possessors of unique insight or gnosis, knowledge. They thought themselves to be but spirit, other people of soul and body. They taught that matter is evil. And it was condemned by the apostles, especially St. John, who required as a test of the spirit a confession of faith that Jesus Christ has come. In the flesh. And therefore we know also. 
that the church teaches not a disembodied eternity, but an eternity complete. That is, body, soul, and spirit together. That is how we will live in eternity. Not a disembodied spirit floating on a cloud strumming a harp. That's not how we'll be. And of course, we see that there are many other heresies that come forward. Monarchianism. Sabellianism, or also known as modalism. Arianism. Semi-Arianism, Macedonianism, Apollinarianism, Nestorianism, Eutychianism, Monophysitism, and Monothelitism. As you can see, many of the attacks on the faith have come on the person of Jesus Christ. They all tried to define Jesus Christ in a very different way than the Bible presents him. In a very different way than the apostolic faith presents them. Today, many of these same heresies are resurfacing under the guise of new labels, essentially repackaged under different names. The apostolic church defends itself today after 2,000 years by adhering to what has been believed and taught at all times by all people and in all places. This is known as the Vincentian Canon. It is a rule or accurate measurement of right belief. Also within the church, there is a law of right belief. The law of right belief is called lex sorendi, lex credendi, lex credendi. This is a Latin maxim that addresses the centrality of the worship in the life, identity, and mission of the Catholic Church. Lex sorendi, lex credendi, The phrase in Latin literally means the law of prayer or the way we worship is the law of belief, what we believe. It is sometimes extended to as or expanded as lex arendi, lex credendi, lex divendi, further deepening the implications of this truth. How we worship reflects what we believe and determines how we will live. And so there's a reciprocity between worship and life. The general thought today among those outside the Catholic faith is held either consciously or unconsciously. That is, that the church descended into apostasy at the death of the apostles. But history reveals the truth. The church constantly under attack was forced to develop its doctrines in defense of its beliefs. For those who reject those, these closely held doctrines, they are forced to either repeat the heresies of the past or are blinded to their own ability, inability to accept what history proves to be true. So the question comes down to, who do you say that I am? The question demands an answer. The right answer is essential. Maybe the right answer is, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. What we believe about Christ is best articulated in the Nicene Creed, written and canonized by the church during the Second Ecumenical Council and held up in the Catholic faith throughout all generations since. So let us read it together as our response to the question, who do you say that I am?